Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Kimberly Winston, sitting in this week for Umbreen Khan. When I was in journalism school, I had a wonderful professor who was fresh off the religion beat at the New York Times. And he used to tell us every story is a religion story if you know how to look for it. I thought he was crazy. But once I joined the religion beat, I realized he was right. This week, we highlight the religion angle under some of the biggest headlines of the last few months. We'll look at the hidden religion stories behind the January 6th congressional hearings and the investigation into Native American boarding schools with the journalists who covered them. Then we'll look at the challenges and opportunities facing a small group of believers often overlooked by the media who may be staging a comeback. My first guest is Steve Raby, a freelance religion reporter who often writes about evangelicals and conservative Christians. For at least the last 18 months, Steve has been tracking down the link between Christian pro-family groups and Republicans who support and promote the false and misleading claims that the 2020 election was stolen. Most of these groups enjoy the tax-exempt status of churches or other houses of worship, though they are not linked to individual denominations or congregations. And that should prevent them from politicking, campaigning for specific candidates. That's an IRS no-no if you're a tax-exempt church. But, as Steve told me, these groups often operate with impunity and pour millions of dollars into political causes. I reached Steve at his home at the base of the Rocky Mountains. This is Steve Raby. I am a freelance writer doing books and articles, and I'm calling from Colorado Springs, where God lives. <laughs> That's right. Now, now tell our listeners why you say where God lives. Uh, Colorado Springs for decades has been a hub of evangelical parachurch organizations. Uh, everybody from Focus on the Family, Compassion, International, Young Life. So there's just a lot of groups here. People have called it the Evangelical Vatican here in Colorado Springs, but that's that's a problematic description on a number of levels, too. But there's a lot of groups here. And you just said a word that's sort of fallen out of use, but tell our listeners, what is a parachurch organization? Excellent question. Parachurch organizations are designed to do specific activities or missions that complete some of the part of the mission of the church, but they are organized as nonprofits, usually 501c3 nonprofits recognized by the IRS for tax-free purposes. But that would include, well, like, for example, some of the groups here in Colorado Springs, uh, Compassion International. Their mission is to help children around the world and also their mothers and Sure, churches do that, maybe through their mission programs, but Compassion made that their specific objective, and they're now a $1 billion a year organization that does that. Same with Young Life. Churches have youth groups, but Young Life is a parachurch organization created to do youth ministry around the world. And Focus on the Family is a slightly different parachurch organization because it first kind of elevated parents and families as what we need to be focused on, but increasingly they've emphasized politics as a way to save the family from uh, doom and gloom. So, yeah, but there's 
thousands and thousands of parachurch organizations. A lot of people say they play a bigger role in people's spiritual lives than churches do because they have better radio shows and greater coverage. And that's an important thing to point out is that these parachurch organizations are very present in media. They have their own radio stations, their own television shows. They have, you know, a huge presence on social media. Book publishing, movies. Yeah, they're, they're a lot about communication. Produced. Yeah, they're like a lot of parachurch ministries are like publishers. But then yes. there's others like Prison Fellowship. They're, they're actually training people to go to prisons and things like that. So it covers the, the whole perspective. Right. You've been writing a lot about parachurch organizations, especially pro-family parachurch yeah. organizations, the Family Research Council, or Focus on the Family. What are their definitions of family, and what does it mean to, for them to be pro-family? Like, is anybody anti-family? So I'm wondering what they mean by that. Well, you know, according to the pro-family groups, there are a lot of people who are allegedly anti-family and mm. a lot of legislation that is anti-family. I think initially a lot of them were trying to just push back against the sexual revolution. But over the decades, we've seen pro-family organizations have decided that homosexuality is a threat to the biblical Christian family. Lately, they've been going after transgender rights. Uh, you see a lot of talk on pro-family media about how they are protecting women's sports uh, mm. from transgender athletes. It seems like a lot of sex-related issues are part of the family. Uh, recently, Focus has gone over critical after critical race theory. They're all over the place on some issues, but they share a concern that the family is God's number one priority. That secular America is destroying the family, and we basically need to use politics to protect it and make sure it doesn't disappear. Tell me a little bit about, let's say, the four main pro-family groups that have been promoting either specific candidates or specific legislation. We can talk about four groups and stay within the focus on the family, family, if you will. Focus was founded in 1977. By 1981, Dobson and other uh, conservative leaders had founded the Family Research Council, which originally started out as part of Focus, but is now independent. It's also a 501c3, but the Family Research Council also has FRC Action, which is a 501, I think, c4, a political group which works in D.C. with Congress and the presidential administration. Dobson realized they needed a state-based organization, a network of state groups. So in the 80s, they created what they called the Family Policy Council. And you can see now there's maybe three dozen state organizations around the country that network with the Family Policy Council. And then in 94, Dobson and other leaders helped create the Alliance Defending Freedom. That's mm. their legal group. And so, for example, if you remember the Supreme Court case about the baker, the Supreme Court granted him his freedom not to sell cakes to gay partners getting married. Right. That case was uh, fought by the Alliance Defending Freedom. A lot of people don't talk about focus that much. And I think Dobson, he's 87 now and is not quite as active as he used to be. But all these organizations he created uh, are part of what I call like a 250 million annual 
uh, budget for groups to promote family things, but increasingly they pro promote conservative politics, uh, Republican politics, and a lot of them seem to love Donald Trump. And you just said they have how much of a budget? When you add up Focus and all the other you know, the other groups they created, there's about two hundred million there. But Focus only spends about twenty percent of its budget on advocacy, and that is allowed under IRS regulations. Uh, IRS regulations also say five hundred one c three nonprofits should not be partisan, but uh, IRS does not enforce that. And as we know, IRS is understaffed, under budget, so. Uh, it, it just doesn't pursue some of these things. But a lot of these groups that say they are nonpartisan, that's kind of a joke. So tell me, because you know these groups inside and out and what they're active in, where have you seen their fingerprints in the January 6th hearings? Well, maybe we should start with Josh Hawley. You know, when Hawley entered the Capitol on January 6th, 2020, he gave that fist bump to some of the protesters. Parenthetically, his campaign later sold a mug with the image of that fist bump, and they claimed the mug was suitable for liberal tears. But then once the attack happened, Hawley was, they had video of him just running. Focus on the family loves Josh Hawley. In fact, I predict, you heard it, heard it here first, a Pence Hawley ticket. Really? Yeah, that's just what I'm predicting. I could be totally goofed up, but anyway, that's what I'm thinking. Wow, okay. But after the January 6th attack on the Capitol, I think within a month, Focus had Josh Hawley on their radio show. And that was a show about cancel culture, which, of course, they were identifying as a leftist tendency. But I just thought it was rather rich that the guy who tried to cancel the vote for Pennsylvania, he was the first U.S. senator to say he was going to question votes from the states. Focus-related groups have endorsed Ron Johnson who was involved in putting out a false uh, group of electors for Wisconsin. Uh, Andy Biggs in Arizona called Rusty Bauer, who was the Speaker of Arizona's House, trying to get uh, the, the Arizona House to overturn the vote. So he did that. Mo Brooks was the guy on January 6th who says time to kick ass and take names or vice versa. He's been endorsed by them. Paul Gosar from Arizona, who speaks a lot of alt-right and white racist groups. He, they love him. Lauren Boebert of Colorado, they did an article, focused in an article, uh, saying she's living the American dream. And there's actually a, a family policy endorsed guy from West Virginia who broke into the Capitol on January 6th. Focuses and their political groups, they've endorsed political candidates, and they've largely endorsed the Republican Party. And they haven't really pushed back at the excesses that we've seen uh, in the Republican Party in the last 18 months or so. If these organizations are um, classified as religious organizations and therefore are tax exempt, we've said the IRS is overburdened, overworked. The IRS has not pursued uh, violations of that. But how else do these folks, do these groups get away with? being tax-exempt because they're religious organizations and doing this kind of politicking, supporting these candidates, promoting things that are part of the Republican platform? Well, there's a couple things. The IRS says 
a 501c3 nonprofit organization cannot endorse a candidate, but uh, they can address issues. So if the issue is abortion, then you can talk about the abortion issue and you're allowed to identify politicians who uh, support your view on that. Uh, that's what they did with Donald Trump in the run-up to the 2020 election. Uh, both Jim Daly, who's the current CEO focused, and Jim Dobson, who left to create his own separate group, they both have called uh, Donald Trump the most pro-life president of their lifetime. And, you know, it, that paid off with the Supreme Court appointments that recently uh, reversed Roe and Wade. So you're allowed to talk about issues. You're not supposed to talk about candidates. They do it anyway, and nobody calls them on it. There are seven Republican Congress people who have refused to address the January 6th committee. They've re- some have refused subpoenas, some have refused to testify. Those are all endorsed by the pro-family groups. So it just it just goes kind of on and on. Can you explain to me what is the thinking? of Christian conservatives that even though, I mean, I believe these people really believe in Christian faith, yes. Christian faith that I, I, I totally, I don't doubt their sincerity, Yeah, but I don't understand the thinking behind believing the things that Jesus said then allows you to vote for a candidate who is antithetical to many of the things that Jesus said. I've heard it explained as a trade-off. Well, if we hold our noses and vote for Donald Trump, we're going to get the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Can you explain this to me? Kimberly, you're a smart person, and if you haven't understood this yet, I'm not confident in my ability to help you understand (laughs) it, but I will give it a try. My best effort to explain this comes down to one word, fear. Mm. If you look at pro-family media, you see that the world is just in a horrible shape and getting mm. worse every 15 seconds. They see Christianity as under threat, at least their form of Christianity. Uh, and that's why they feel they need to respond. One of Dobson's recurring phrases over the last few decades is, you know, Congress j- just did this and now everything I've ever believed in is being turned upside down or stripped mm. away or something. So I think there's a lot of fear And in fact, Trump's appeal to Christian conservatives was, I will make you strong. I will protect you. I will protect your religious freedoms. And I think in a lot of ways he did that. Do you get a sense of how many people in these groups or or who pay attention to what they say, are any of them paying attention to the hearings? Uh, Short answer, no. Mm. Uh, Focus has a political website called the daily citizen. Yes. That's their news site for Christians. And they say it's biblical news. I haven't seen a single report on there about the January six hearings. And I know that on the very first day, the hearings began, you know, a month ago on that day, Jim Daly focus hosted Mike Pence on his radio show. I forget what the topic was, but they did not mention the hearings or Trump's role in the insurrection. So if the IRS isn't paying attention to these pro-family groups, and if the pro-family groups and their listeners' constituents are not 
paying attention to the January 6 hearings, will there be any repercussions for these groups for their participation in promoting the lie that the 2020 election was stolen? Uh, I don't predict that, no. Christian parachurch organizations with media presences, they can just revise the website. They can delete the the things that used to be on there. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of pushback. I think a lot of Christian pro-family groups, they maybe think more in terms of Christendom than they think of Jesus. You know, mm. there's this Christendom thing, it's threatened. And if that requires us to act in ways that Jesus did not endorse or, or actually prohibited, uh, we'll pray for forgiveness because he certainly understands that Christendom is threatened. So I think that's the approach they're taking. So you made a prediction. You said you think you're going to see a ticket that is Mike Pence and Josh Hawley. Tell me why. I just think that would be, I think the pro-family groups would love that. Uh, You know, Mike Pence has been a devoted friend of Focus on the Family. Uh, And, you know, Mike Pence's family, they grew up on Focus on the Family materials for their kids, videos and radio programs. So there's that. And also Focus just really likes Josh Hawley. I just think they see him as maybe the younger uh, representative of the movement. What role do you expect these pro-family groups to play in the midterms? How will we see their fingerprints in the uh, in the lead up to the midterms and in uh, the 2024 election? There'll be endorsements of candidates. Uh, also, elections are a time to turn hot button culture war issues and to get out the vote efforts. Mm -hmm. So I think this year you're going to see that around the abortion issue. And you might say, hey, they just, you know, the pro-family groups just won on the abortion issue. Uh, Why are we going to be hearing about that? Well, they're pushing for stricter uh, restrictions in the states. So I think we'll see that. I also think we'll see uh, issues brought up about the transgender sports about how transgender athletes threaten heterosexual athletes and those kind of things. That's another issue. I suspect you'll also see critical race theory uh, maybe coming up again. But one of the things we talked that we saw in the, some of the primaries is this kind of parents' rights situation where the parents are upset about school curriculum or, or things like that. So I, I think there will be some parental school issues involved too. Are they coming for LGBTQ rights that have advanced through the Supreme Court in the last five, ten years? Well, I would say yes. The gay rights thing has been on their list for a long, long time. Uh, You know, Dobson was behind Amendment 2 here in Colorado, you know, two decades ago, which which won in the state, but then was overturned by the Supreme Court. No, so that's definitely on their agenda. All right. Well, if Pence and Hawley decide to join together on a ticket i'm calling you back oh awesome (laughs) that was steve raby a freelance religion reporter based in colorado springs you can find steve's stories about christian pro-family groups at religion unplugged and ministry watch we'll put links to his stories on our website www.interfaithradio.org when we come back we look at the religion story behind the investigation into abuses at so-called Indian boarding schools here and in Canada. Stay with us.
Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. Thank you. 